Welcome. Thank you for joining us for another episode of FYI I'm Damaged. I'm joined by Enovi, a mental health advocate and motivational speaker. Welcome. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here today with you. Thank you. Ah, you're welcome. You're welcome. Thank you for giving me your time. I know this was uh, some time coming. I really appreciate you having uh, you being here and sharing your story, your strengths, and most of all, your time. Thank you. Through our pre-interview, I feel I'm lucky to have you here with me to discuss your story due to the numerous events in your life that led you to this point of your journey. Surprisingly enough, it didn't start with addiction. Even though it's not the main focus, touch on the path that led you to the door of addiction. So, you're right. Um, it didn't st- addiction is often a symptom right. of a bigger issue, right? And um, addiction has always been a thing going on in my life from little, from mm-hmm. teeny tiny. I was really overweight. So that was there. And then family and genetics. My father, you know, was a pretty bad alcoholic, eventually losing his life to cirrhosis of the liver. Mm-hmm. And my mom's side of the family having a lot of alcoholism. So, you know, I definitely had some stuff go on. My dad was pretty abusive to my mom, Mm. and I was there for a lot of that. Mm -hmm. And then my grandmother, my father's mother, actually told her, like, I'm not, like, I love Enovi, that's my granddaughter, but I'm not dealing with you, because they had a really good relationship, but she threatened her, like, I'm not dealing with you, you're going to keep dealing with my son, he's treating you terribly, and and it's it's hurting your daughter, you know? And that kind of encouraged my mom to leave him. Mm-hmm. My mom dated men. I was molested mm-hmm. um, at like five or six-ish. And I was really afraid to tell her because mm-hmm. he threatened her if right. I told. Um, and then as I got a little older, it, it I'll be honest with you, it just seemed like, like sexual abuse was kind of like a weird theme because right. I dealt with a lot of depression. Um, I was diagnosed with depression at 15, and mm. then when I got, a, you know, I, I kind of dealt with it, but you know how it is to be a Latino, we don't... Yeah, it's never discussed. It's never discussed. <laughs> so, and, you know, my dad and I were pretty close. He, he definitely he made a comeback in my life and did what he had to do. He tried his best, but he still struggled. Right. And he struggled with his mental health a lot. And then as I got older, I was in college, and I was actually... My second year of college, I was raped by a friend, mm. and also I was I was also raped by a boyfriend. Like right. literally, like six months to the day, mm. and it, it was just one of those things. Like I pressed charges on the friend, I did not press charges on the boyfriend mm. because I couldn't rationalize in my head. Right. I, I don't know. I just I think I I made it right somehow because that was my boyfriend Mm -hmm. but I sat with it I sat with this like self-loathing I lost a lot of the weight then I was having a lot of like pains and Mm -hmm. aches and stuff and and was going to doctors trying to figure out like what's going on and um come to find out I was diagnosed with Sjogren's syndrome And they started to prescribe me pain medication. Now, for those who don't know, what's what's that? So, Sjogren's syndrome is kind of like a sister to lupus. Mm. So, it's an overproduction, obviously, you know, of the white blood cells, but it affects, like, your moisture. So, you get this intense pain in the joints. Mm. Um, it, it affects your eyes, your teeth. 
a lot of like your bones mostly right. so it's very painful at times and you'll swell and it's just incredibly painful it, it can be really painful so th this feels like like a slow kind of like a slow snowball of everything that's yeah. happening and you're basically getting hit left and right and up yeah. and down and now with this full body pain i'm guessing yeah. it's just oh you just slide right into something else it's funny because i didn't want to take medication at first i wouldn't take it i was very against taking it i had a really bad breakup and i would realize that when i was going through something i felt more pain mm. I, I kind of was able to put that those two things together right and I remember I had a really bad, bad breakup. I felt pain like everywhere. And I was just like, I'm going to take a pill today. Mm. And that I, for a good seven years, I lived my entire addiction chasing that feeling. I had that first time I took the pill. Mm. And no matter what drug I took, what drug I, I dabbled and messed with, nothing felt to me as good as that first time and this was this which which opiate was it percocet was percocet okay and it, it definitely snowballed into mm -hmm. bigger things and I, I i can i can sort of relate to a point because i've crohn's disease and i have crohn's disease and there was one time i needed surgery for it and there was something that the doctor prescribed to me was endocet mm. so i'm guessing it was in the family of that yeah let me tell you something <laughs> that I mean, I have I have my own issues with weight, my own issues with food, and honestly, I can tell you that is the only thing I wanted to to feel again. So and that was scary, and that was basically yeah. at the cusp of when people were describing the opioid addictions and the issues that are going on in the country, mm -hmm. and I said, "Oh shit!" But it's the only thing that's in the back of my head of like I. I want that feeling again mm -hmm. and um i was just fortunate that i just stayed away from it yeah and uh, i one time even asked the doctor i was like oh um i was prescribed this before and he gives me this look oh and I'm, i know he's that like, look yeah he gives me this look <laughs> and he's like how would you try something how about some Tylenol or something like that and i'm luckily i wasn't in that space to be pushy or whatever mm -hmm. or be trying to get my way to get that and luckily he did that and i'm like you know what so let me stop fucking with this yeah yeah and oof, but i i know I that, that 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 want that beginning want and oof. i did that the doctor shopping oh my god oh doctor yeah shopping. Uh, yeah so doctor shopping is kind of like well so i this was a while ago mm. so now you know they have different things in effect so they'll red flag you right. and it's a world like not a worldwide but like um I believe it's a U.S. thing, but I could be wrong. But they have a system where when they enter your name into it, mm -hmm. it'll tell of any prescriptions you've gotten oh, wow. anywhere and who prescribed it and really? the number to contact. Yeah, that's now. Oh, wow. Before, that wasn't an option. So I was able to go to this pain management doctor and right. get Percocet and then go to the other pain management doctor and get Vicodin and then go to the dentist later on and get more Percocet Whoa, like wow. and they'll give it to you right. as long as they were different milligrams or different types of opiates right so you can't like if I was your doctor and I prescribed you Percocet I you can't go somewhere else and get Percocet right. you know until a month later but I would be able to give you morphine 
Wow. Instead. Yeah. Really? So I would have just a ton of different types of medications at home. Mm-hmm. And um, towards the end of my addiction, when it got really, really, really bad, I was red flag. Like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> I remember one time I went to the, the hot, to the ER. And I, I, maybe that was when this is in effect, this guy complaining about pain, all that. And we were in the ER. This he's paying doctor. I you know I need some stuff. Da da da. Doctor didn't believe him. Holding him, uh, pushing him back basically. Just like wait there, wait 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 wait. And then all of a sudden they're like, where where where's the guy? He ripped the IV out of his arm and left the ER because they weren't uh, they didn't give him what he needed. He wanted some pain meds. Yeah. And they were gonna give him some regular stuff. He's like, no no, I need some other stuff. And they said, where the hell is he? And yeah, he just ripped the IV out of his arm and walked out. That was like a that was the weirdest thing. And then it's and then I asked, I was like, "What's that about?" And it's like, no, I think the doctor was just dealing with somebody who was an addict who needed something. I was like, oh, withdrawal is horrible. And when you're going through it, it's really uncomfortable. The most dangerous withdrawal you can go through is alcohol withdrawal. It's hands down the most dangerous withdrawal. Yeah. Um, Opiate withdrawal is really, really, really uncomfortable, but most likely you're not gonna die from it it's just right. really unless there's any there's other pre you know things kind of lying underneath there but it's uncomfortable like where most people go through withdrawal for like three to four days mm-hmm. i went through withdrawal when i went to detox it was two whole full weeks right. that's how many <laughs> types of different opiates and drugs and wow. it was the worst they had to literally sedate me for a majority of that time it was really uncomfortable. I was taking the equivalent of, I mean, I did try heroin. I've definitely tried coke, I, you know, and I would kind of play with it a little bit. But I right. was really scared, which was really silly mm-hmm. because honestly, the, what the doctors were prescribing me is the same exact thing. Right. Same thing. So I just, for whatever reason, I felt like, well, if a doctor is giving it to me, it must be safe. Right. I overdosed four times. It's a horrible way to live. You live every day doing the same thing over and over. It's like Groundhog's Day. Now, that that feeling from taking the opiates and then with heroin itself, where it basically comes, well, the the heroin that comes from the opiates, is that a different feeling? Not to me, no. Or, I mean, I I don't know the experience of, like, taking that. It's like the comparison. It's like you take heroin... No, I'd rather take pills. So my drug of choice, honestly, people are gonna be like, "Whoa, fent- I my drug of choice was fentanyl, right? Just pretty strong and dangerous. Very, very. Um, I, I, I have no idea how I'm sitting here today, honestly. But the, com- the again, heroin wasn't like a big thing for me. I, mm-hmm. It was maybe I could count on one time, on one hand, the amount of times I've tried it. Mm-hmm. Not many people know that. Like mm-hmm. I've always kept that one really secret. Right. But. it's more in my opinion from what i recall it's more comparable to fentanyl Mm -hmm. like they are very similar fentanyl was i had to be very careful with it because it it definitely had me i would draw like twice over fentanyl and yeah i mean anybody anybody listening that's this is the whole point of it focus on somebody's strengths and what they go through but touching on the journey and something like this it's People think addiction is clear-cut. You're addicted to something. You got to go through uh, recovery and then be strong about staying there. But 
this this journey is very complex it's very it has many facets and it's not easy because you have a very complex situation you can very have a very complex person and those two complexities meeting each other don't always find a good outcome right as we've seen with a lot of addicts and you've been very fortunate because yes. you're here you know yeah. you're doing you're living your life and we're sitting here under a beautiful tree right. a beautiful day and you know enjoying and um celebrating life through the adversity that you did and it's i wanted to touch on which i forgot to touch on in the beginning because it's it was just this was just a chance meeting right because right. um i get a i get a, i see a couple of missed calls from my wife and then i finally hit her she's like oh my god i'm like what the hell just happened <laughs> she, goes, <laughs> she goes to the pool and i'm thinking something's happening you know or whatever and she's with um she's with Mirena, which was uh one of my other guests on the episode and for the uh the domestic violence and they call me and she's like oh my god i got i got the, the i have somebody for you for the podcast <laughs> and i'm like what happened and she's like oh my god and she basically goes to this thing of saying she's like this this lady thought I, she's like i thought this lady is gonna think we're crazy she's she's <laughs> we that we're stalking her she's like we're in the line with her um and i think i think she was in the line with you at the concession stand yep. and then she took a uh she was discussed like having a random talk with your mom yep. <laughs> and then i think you guys sat next to each other yeah. somewhere and <laughs> She's like, oh my gosh, she, she's this lady's gonna think I'm crazy. We're always next to each other. She's probably gonna think I'm stalking her. And then, as her personality, her personality is, she strikes up a conversation with you. Mm -hmm. She's like, oh my god, babe, you know she's she's gone through this, she's gone through that, and I think she'll be a wonderful guest for the podcast. Uh, and I'm just on the phone, like, uh huh, okay, <laughs> all right um i said okay so that's when you know information takes place uh, exchanges and you know then we have our discussions our pre interview and then here we are i mean talk about that that day and you know like i mean big up to my wife yeah. rg it's like divine intervention <laughs> honestly <laughs> no but that that you know i have to just say like can we have a moment for your wife she's amazing <laughs> she gets a lot of moments <laughs> she's, she's the best okay because we were on the line and then um a few times uh -huh. and i was just like i swear i'm not following you guys and they kind of said the same thing and <laughs> oh so you like, felt that way too <laughs> yeah cause i felt like i was following them oh. so i was like i swear i'm not i swear and we just kind of had a laugh and there was this beautiful young lady that walked by full-figured girl but very neat so uh -huh. pretty and i said to my mother under my breath i wish i had that type of confidence and she turned around your wife turned around and was just like and why do you not <laughs> why not and i'm just like wait huh she's like if you want to wear it wear it it would look great on you and just started yeah. kind of like feeding my soul mm -hmm. and that's when we started this conversation and i was just like you know it's so funny you say that because i do motivational speaking mm -hmm. and I needed you to to motivate me right now. She's like, it's all right. We always it, we always give it, but don't take it, right? And I'm just like, you're dead on. But it was so encouraging and inspiring, and I felt so comfortable talking to her. Right. And that's when she was just like, I have to connect you to my husband because <laughs> I think you'd be perfect. That, and that's her in a nutshell. Her best friend was I forgot her name. I'm sorry. Amarena. Amarena. Yeah. She was just like, yes, you have to. And she kind of shared some of her story and it was really nice and their yeah. energy is just incredible you know you know when 
like that intuition chick kicks in and you're just like yeah these are good people oh, really yeah. good people i do that that's that she she's she's the 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 lady at the bus stop that you know you'll strike a conversation yep. with you know and she just talk and talk and talk and then i i love that about her you know sometimes it's like hey we gotta to go to this and that yeah. you know oh hit me up on instagram da, 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 yeah. and, you know we'll, you'll talk about it later it's not like and, my husband all the time like, you talk too much <laughs> you just you just. so i completely understand but she's just something about her is just so comforting and I think it's it's both of y'all, you know. Right. It, it's just you guys are really comforting. The energy is amazing, and I'm just like, here's my life story, <laughs> you know. Like I went through ABC one to three, and she's just like, oh my gosh. But she's she's really, really uh, an encouraging woman, and mm-hmm. you know, you guys are both just incredible, and I appreciate oh, thank it. You. Thank you. Like I appreciate your time too, and her time, and inviting me here. Hey, look, this is this is a lot of heavy lifting. There's a lot of intricacies in it, but I I, I see the potential in it. And, you know, I'm, like I said in the beginning, I'm just glad you're able to share your time with me because it's it's hard for a lot of people. A lot of people are not comfortable. They're right. they're 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 comfortable with taking everything in, but not sharing theirs. And, you know, people have to treat this like uh, a library that you have to. You have to subscribe, but uh, participate and contribute to. Because if you don't, then there's not that mon- there's not that much content that people are gonna gonna experience to learn from. That's true. That's a really good analogy. That makes so much. That makes sense. It definitely yeah. makes sense. Yeah. You know, and and to continue on, um, some, if not one of those events that you've gone through, would have tore if not all the events you know it just would have obliterated a person you know to their core but you've maintained so what was that driving factor to stay strong especially i know we may be glossing over a few things but we can go back and forth but um with the objective to stay clean how do you show yourself up what's one of the things that just keeps you strong and keeps you away from things that is not conducive to a good life that's a really good question i my family Hmm. and this is going to sound really 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 selfish myself of course that's where it starts yeah yeah i think my whole life i've been dealing with low self-esteem not feeling good enough not feeling like i amounted enough Um, my mom is a very strong personality, but I'm, I'm kind of the person, like, even though I'm very happy-go-lucky and, and I can strike a conversation with anybody, I love to help people, right. I sometimes fade in the background, mm. especially with the group of women in my family. They're very strong and very out there and very... So my mom has a very, very, very strong personality. And I remember growing up, she was always saying, like, you have to love yourself. You have to love yourself. Mm. But engaged in behaviors that didn't always show that so it was more like and i knew what she was doing sometimes you have to do the whole fake it till you make it but did she did she know you were watching or she didn't realize or she didn't realize you were watching to be like i'm saying one thing but doing another i don't think she realized it okay i think that I think we're also dealing with the whole idea of generational curses mm. and we're dealing with trying to change the paradigm and and really, you know, or tilt it and, and try to make it different. Like even down to the man I married was nothing like my father. Right. The complete opposite. 
and don't get me wrong i was the girl that dated the drug dealer i was the girl that wanted to save the guy you know and that's the way my mom is mm. you know growing up i i that didn't work it didn't work mm. and i just always saw my mom kind of putting out more than she got right i made a conscious decision like okay i'm not gonna it's gonna sound weird i'm not gonna go for this because this didn't work for me before right and or i would see certain traits in in a man that that was more like my dad and i was just like i can't mm. I, I can't do this for the rest of my life as oh head over heels in love i was with this person i just felt like i can't do this back and forth this this insecure this all of this and my father told me these words once never go for a man that you were head over heels in love with that is and you're constantly like thinking about them and wanting them and all that right and i'm just like but isn't that what you want like the love the excitement absolutely not he was like absolutely not that's insecurity that's fear that's um wondering what they're doing wondering if they're thinking about you that that shouldn't even be a thought it should just flow right you want to be with somebody who matches your energy and makes you feel comfortable mm -hmm. and makes you feel validated it makes you feel seen and it doesn't have to be this over the top crazy passionate thing no you're right and even even then that 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 takes a working up to yeah because people their gears do need to match up but then that sinking takes time that takes learning that right. takes real love yes and not just like how you said it's like i i've the the infatuation yep of yep. wanting you don't want an infatuation with a person you want that love and through that love you'll find synchronicity and synchronicity you guys be on the same page whether yeah. it's like okay i'm taking out the garbage you're doing the dishes this yep. and that we sit down watch a movie you know yes. when it happens but you know and I mean, you know family people growing so. up latina and latinos yeah. like we're raised as women you know we're already on mommy track from three you know oh like my God. you know we a cocinar, toys, a limpiar, you know what yeah, I'm saying? Like we, we're already taught that. Yeah. And so I, my, my instinctual way of life is to serve, right. right? And to be submissive. And I was constantly going for these men that I had to serve and be yeah. submissive to and realizing this is not working. There's and an addiction in that as well. Yes, you know it's that validating feeling exactly. and the chase and the and then the trauma bond of it all. For all the people around a woman, and it's like, oh, I have to show them that I'm doing stuff for my man. And I think I mentioned it before in other ones where, or we, I've just had discussions and a long time ago, RJ and I would be talking and and we would be at a party and I'm a product of a single family. Yeah. Uh, a, a single parent household have to do for myself and then i told her i said i don't need you to i don't need you to do for me right i remember it was at a party once and i hope i'm keeping true to what i said before but they would tell her like oh wait he um she 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 she's the party monster forget it she's dancing she her she can complain that her feet hurt but then she'll be dancing so everybody has to leave the party right and you <laughs> feel know like you're talking about me and my husband <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's that's rg as well yeah and, you know she she kills it doesn't matter you know because that that's her and that passion of hers to do that like i love and i admire it mm -hmm. because you know in certain points i'm slowly getting out of it but that's that that the majority of it isn't me right and it's hard to to try and 
get that across and have her understand it but she 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 does understand it and it goes back and forth but the point is is that we were at a party i'm getting my own plate i'm playing with the we we had oh. our firstborn i'm playing with the baby and doing this and that she's dancing chilling having a good time and they're like one was like oh you know oh you uh he he got his own plate right <laughs> and, and oh he's 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 playing with the baby Mm-hmm. While all like some of the women are like they're serving for their man, they're they're watching the kids and the guys are just chilling and you know shooting the shit and this mm-hmm. and that, maybe dancing occasionally, and I think uh, I think one of her cousins was like, wait, he he takes care of the baby, he he what you know, and right. she's like, yeah, you know, his that's his that's son. how he does, right. that, that's that's him, you know, not a person like like I don't treat every every seat that I sit on as a throne like no it's i i've always kept the the thing of 50 50 and then i seen that and then you describing all that stuff i'm like wait even even that's an an addiction that some of them some of the these ladies prescribe to to me i find it as a shame but hopefully they can see that and be like you know no i'm more than this like we have to we have to hold this weight of the family right and i learned what a true man is as I got way older and mm. as I got married and I I think I always thought that a real man was like possessive or protective, quote unquote, um, will fight for you, could be loud, could be boisterous in your face, all of that, um, will get upset if you go somewhere without him, what you wear, stuff like that. Mm. But when I was nearing the end of my addiction, my husband, we had no money. He lost his job. I lost my job. He literally did deliveries because they didn't have like Uber as that yet, at, like at that time. So he right. was doing deliveries in different like pizza shops. And we're talking about he's an engineer, but it, that wasn't even a, a thing. Like right. he did deliveries. He did whatever he had to do. If anything it was that was right. legal, he did it. <laughs> Where I was so used to somebody like, well, I need quick money. Let me go, you know flip a few bricks and then I'll have a few thousand dollars or whatever. Yeah. He didn't do that. He worked his ass off, excuse my language, but he worked his ass off just to make sure that we were okay. Mm-hmm. And as I got older and and as as we grew together, um you know, I started to really see that all that other stuff is not you know, what a real man is, you know. Are you seeing this through your dealing with addiction or this is post both because i was okay. in it right at the same like towards the end of my addiction I, at the end of it i'm watching him kind of like do all of this to to make me okay and then mm-hmm. make our family okay you know because we had his kids my son wasn't born at this time i just saw everything he did and it inspired me to also want to stop using nice it, because i felt like well i'm gonna be okay because yeah. that was what I was afraid of. I don't want to feel that pain because I was just so tired of pain. And don't get me wrong. My life wasn't terrible. Like, there were times that were really fun and, and really beautiful. And, right. you know, I, I remember times driving with my dad. And I, and I think of it all the time, you know, like, where he was really silly and funny and would sing Quito Nieves in the car and banging on the steering wheel. And it was great. <laughs> you know, we go to Six Flags, just him and I. We go have lunch every Wednesday. We had great times. But there were tough times. And... I just saw the dedication that he had into making sure that our family was okay, that it inspired me. It, it did two things. 
it made me feel incredibly worthless because I felt like, well, I'm just a burden mm. on this man. Right. But he never complained about it. And then it also made me feel incredibly inspired mm. because I felt like he's not complaining about it. He'll let you know when he's bothered. Mm. <laughs> he's that type. <laughs> <laughs> so I knew that he wasn't saying anything negative. So he was just rolling with the punches. He wanted to support me, but didn't totally know how to. Mm, okay. And the day that I got clean, I remember, you know, I, I was either going to live or die that day. And I, I, I chose to die, believe it or not. I was going to um, OD on like Tylenol. Right. And I had made a call 20 days before to a, a rehab. And they called me that same. The moment I put the pills in my mouth, mm -hmm. the phone rang and it was that. It was the, mm. the rehab. It was the weirdest thing. And I told him, and he's like, I support whatever you have to do. I'll be there soon. I'm leaving. You know, because he was doing, like, our Well, I think he actually had a job at that point, like, a more stable job. And he just, like, dropped everything just to, like, be there for me. Right. And I think in that, I learned a lot of what a, what a real man does. And, you know, it's not about the fighting. It's not about getting a quick money or going to jail. And, and a real woman doesn't need to hold down her husband while he's in jail. Like... That's not even needed, you know, and it, it inspired right. me to get clean. That right type of support. Right. Okay. Right. Cool. And it was consistent and it was peaceful. Okay. And I never felt scared that I had my moments where I feel scared that he would leave me because of what I was doing right. and then my addiction and stuff. But he unconditionally loved me through that. Hmm. Like there was no thinking on his part it was never even a like he never threatened divorce I, I did you know I was that person I was like I'm not good enough like um, we should get divorced or like I did a lot of self-loathing right and he was just like girl bye like <laughs> I'm not going anywhere you know like we're here we're in it we're gonna do yeah. this you know so for somebody to deal with a woman in that capacity it, right. it takes a lot of strength especially as a man especially in our culture and mm. although he's not the same culture but that takes a lot and I really I, I grew to really respect him more than I had already respected him you know oh, that, that's, a, that's a beautiful thing yeah now when stepping back a little bit when using took a hold of you and when it became second nature to your life how was that discussion in your head to rationalize that this is normal in your view day to day that's a really good question <laughs> ooh Okay. I try. I try. That I was try. a good one. I try. So I'm very impulsive. It's a really bad, bad quality. It can be good. It could be good sometimes. But I'm really impulsive. So honestly, the way I rationalized it, like every only child, I'm an only child, I'm only siblings. I would just say, I'm going to just do this. I'm just going to do it. There was no complete rationalization. I think the most rationalization I did was... Well, a doctor started giving it to me. Mm, right. Right? So I was constantly going through my prescriptions. I never lasted the whole month for the pain medication ever. Right. And, you know, for me, it was what I needed. I also used to get, like, pain into seizures. So, because I would be in so much pain. Now, looking back, it was probably withdrawals. Okay. But they thought it was pain and do seizures and so they kept giving you more yeah, more yeah, pain but i was going right wow. through them a week a weekend and i'm when i tell you the it was a lot like i was taking maybe 250 milligrams of opiates three times a day wow yeah yeah it was really bad i just did it i, I just said well doctor started giving it to me i don't want to have a seizure mm -hmm. but 
I'm going to do whatever I need. And I just, I did whatever I had to do to get it. And that became your new normal. Yeah. Every day I woke up to get drugs. Now, did you, did you float the, the line between functional and full-blown addict? I think before when we, where either you mentioned or we discussed that you function fine. To a point. Um, so, I, I thought mean, I did. Walk us through that. Yeah. Yeah, I thought I did. Um, I didn't. Hmm. It was very obvious, and I didn't realize that at the time. Towards the end of my addiction, my entire life just revolved around it. There was no way you couldn't tell. It just it just became everything. I was so obsessed with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and literally, I would get anxiety knowing, like I would, I would plan it out in my head and I would get this intense anxiety knowing on this day I'm most likely going to run out. What do I have to do to get it? And the insanity of it is, is that I spent thousands of dollars on this. Wow. And the things that I could have saved for, you know what I mean? Like, that's just crazy. Looking back, especially. How was that addition in your head? Did you just stop and be like, wait a minute, I spent this much on this much and this time and da-da-da. Is it incalculable or you actually hit a number? I've hit a number. I'm not ready to say it. Um, Yeah, it's heavy. No, It's a big number. Um, I think I still live with a lot of guilt for that one. Right, right. It was big. And I somehow just made it right. I, I just, oh well. That was what I would say. And it sounds so horrible now as I look back. But that was my, my perspective on it. It was just like, oh well. Like, I'm just going to do it and not fully think about it. And then when I would feel guilt, I'm already high. So right. I feel like guilt, but oh well. You know, it was just, it was a, it was very counterintuitive. It was very strange. And that's, that's the other part people don't see of, like, literally feeding an addiction. Oh, yes. You know, it's, yes. it's, people think, you know, it's like, where does the money come from? And it, it wherever it comes, it, it goes to that. Yes. And so, people really, don't, don't really see the cost until somebody brings it up. So I'm sure if people could do the numbers in the head and they see over the course of the years, Look, this this it does add up. They talk about how how many people are addicted, how much they take, uh, and all that that comes with the addiction, except for the money factor that goes straight into these pharmaceutical companies' yes. wallets. Yes, one hundred percent. It's really painful to see. Yeah, you know, and it's it's horrible, and it your is. life revolves around it. You know, and the other thing is that. Addicts, a lot of people misconstrue and just like, oh, you, why can't you just stop? Why can't you just go to rehab? Why can't you just... The rehabs are over flooded. It is, I made a call 20 days before the wow. day I got clean. 20 days. I did it on my birthday, February 3rd. And they called me February 23rd, 2015 at 5.47 p.m. Wow. I will never forget that. That, that doctor, and I still see the same doctor to this day. He's mm-hmm. been a very, like, a guiding light for me. Right. And, um, you know, but people don't realize, like, we don't want to be an addict. Like, I don't, I never wanted to be an addict. It gets to a point where you have to use so you're not sick. Right. So, you know, and people look at, at, at people like us, you know, me and, and, and addiction, and we're just like, why would you do all that like that's a lot you know you're jumping through hoops i'm gonna be honest with you 
the worst thing I did, one of the worst things I did was stole my mother's rent money and helped her look for it. Wow. Helped her with her. Right. Like, it's not here. Like, and I still have a lot of shame about it, you know, and I've definitely paid my dues to her, mm-hmm. you know, but that was, that was a rent. Like, how do you do that? That's really fucked up. I've, I've, I can attest to that. Well, I can attest to experience that because we've had addicts in um, our family on my mother's side, and it, it was when those, uh, those little portable TVs came out. I think my sister wanted one. She, I, I forgot. I don't know if my mother or my father got it for her, and uh, I think, I, if I recall, like my, either my uncle or my aunt, I forget who. It was a long time ago. Like they they stole it and they sold it for drugs. Yep. And you know that was our first experience with dealing with what an addict would do to support their their habit. Yeah. And it wasn't a good feeling. We saw what it did to um, my mom and her dynamic with her family, and it wasn't a beautiful thing. It a was, lot of people don't realize that I mean we do know okay so we know that addiction affects families mm-hmm. what happens is that this can be controversial to say being the addict I don't believe it affects the addict the most no it's, no you're right yeah I believe it affects the family more Absolutely. than anything yeah um as the addict we we get clean we get praised after we get clean the attention is amazing because we feel so accomplished difficult it's a difficult experience but what a lot of people don't realize is that then the family is sitting there with all the damage that we've done right right and they feel like well i have to forgive this person because they're now clean no you don't no you don't you're it's i do believe in the whole idea of it it's good to forgive it gives you the freedom but it's really important to, to be able to identify the pain that you have right. in order to heal and move past it. And I don't think that any support system should ever feel guilty about that. And a lot of people do. Right. Because it's really difficult, you know, because I also was the, the family member of an addict too, although I was the addict as well, my father. Right. You know, and my father never really sat with me and was just like, I'm so sorry for what I put you through. He never did that. I knew he was, but, you know, mm. that was me and finishing college and studying psychology and having a case like you know like at this point in my life Mm -hmm. but people don't usually do you feel he did it in other ways my dad he was rough so he was either really happy or really miserable there was really Mm -hmm. no in between i think he tried to do it in the best way he knew how to right he definitely made his apology on his deathbed okay literally the day he was dying um because my parents were still legally married, although they were not together, they were separated. My father literally held my mom's hand and told her, I never stopped loving you. Like, he was still in love with my mom. Wow. Imagine that. Yeah. Imagine living, what, 25 years, give or take? Because when he passed away, I think I was 30 when he passed away. So, you're living 25 years, give or take, in love with someone who's just, you mm-hmm. abuse them. Wow. and you hurt them and you he did a lot to her and she never uttered a bad word about that man i've always mm. respected her for that the, 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 it it it's a it's a weird dynamic where that type of thing a person deals with did that 
going through that and him making his apologies on his deathbed, did that take more of a toll on her, the apology, than the actual abuse that his addiction made him do? Or just it was a product, the what he did to her, which was a product of his addiction, like how was she able to manage that nobody focuses on that side right it's true so did she ever confide in you like the apology fucked me up more than the abuse so i think that she actually was really grateful for the apology i think it did a lot for her it fucked me up Mm. i felt like what the fuck you gonna do this now Uh with all the time we had you're gonna do this now so she reconciled with it but you couldn't i didn't i couldn't and um i was really mad at him Mm. because i felt like how could you do this my son is a year and a half you're barely in this child's life now you're leaving and um i've done everything for you wiped this man's ass lived with him practically And now you're going to sit here and apologize to us when all you had to do was stop doing this. So here's the weird part. When I'm I'm very contradictory, I'm saying like addicts don't want to be addicts. Mm -hmm. We do this because we feel like we have to do it. Right. But as a child to an addict, I felt like, well, why did you put me through that? The difference, and here's where I tried to shift in the generational curse what I went through was my son never met me as an addict. I was clean two years prior to him. Right. And I'm really grateful that I was able to do that for him because he'll never know that woman. You know, she's dead. She's totally dead. Okay. But my father, I knew that. Right. I, I, and he's dead. He's totally dead. And I don't feel like I'm better than my dad in any capacity or below him. It's something like that. It was just something that I chose to do knowing what I went through. Mm-hmm. But I, there was a long time I felt really angry at him. But I, I, I tend to be the kind of person that tries to look at the positive side of things right. more than not. And I wanted so badly not to be mad at him. I, I really wanted to just perceive it in a more positive light. Mm-hmm. But I was really mad. <laughs> I was just really pissed off. Like... You're doing this now. Why couldn't you do this before? Right. You know, but he ended up in that situation because he stopped using and drinking when my son was born. Mm. Because he wanted to be there for my son. Right. So I, I felt like that was one of the greatest acts of love my father could have done. And um, I guess that goes back to the question of has he ever really apologized? I think that was probably his showing or, okay. or his attempt to show that he was sorry but i i you know when he died i felt really mad at him about that because i was just like why didn't you do this sooner you know right and then my mom is sitting there like oh you know he said sorry you know and i'm just like maybe that's what she was waiting yeah i think you know she needed that though he wasn't good to her he was horrible to her and she never ever ever uttered a bad word to him i had no idea what went on i knew what i saw right um a lot of stuff i don't remember i remember one incident that was really bad um he, you know he, he tried to kill me he tried to kill us both he threw a lamp at the the wall long story short he threw a lamp at the wall he did that on purpose and um he admitted that and the lamp shattered but one of the the pieces of it was kind of like sticking up yeah. and i landed on it Mm. So it pierced me, you know, my mom just grabbed me and, and had to run, you know, we lived on Gun Hill. Yeah. So she literally ran 
um, with one wow. of the people that we lived in the building. He was a police officer, ran all the way to Montefiore with me. Mm-hmm. And thank God, you know, but it was scary, you know. So he put me through a lot, but, you know, when um, my son was born, he definitely showed me, like, I'm going to try and do this differently. Mm-hmm. And I, I was grateful for that. It, it, it meant a lot to me. Okay. You know, and he he did what he had to do to get himself back in my life mm-hmm. and and take those steps. And it wasn't always great. He mm-hmm. he was a piece of work. Yeah. He de- dealt really badly with his mental illness. There were times he would just leave me places. Like if we were driving upstate, he would just leave me because he was mm-hmm. just mad at oh. whatever he was mad about. He was really mad that I was molested when I was five. He dealt with a lot of guilt because of that. And mm-hmm. I always knew that he was going to bring that up, start drinking, and then somehow still take it out on me. Mm-hmm. So it was very strange. Mm-hmm. But when my son was born, that changed. He re- he really tried to kind of, I guess, make do what mm-hmm. he did to me. Okay. So To help those identify and help their loved ones should they feel someone is hiding their addiction from them what can they look for to help them determine if this is happening so a change in personality definitely nodding a lot of nodding Mm -hmm. so one thing um if sorry really quickly if the person is a smoker Mm -hmm. one thing you can look at is if they smoke in the car or like in certain areas, check for cigarette burns around. Mm-hmm. Because what happens is that they're nodding off and they'll probably have a cigarette in their hand and it'll burn down and it'll fall. Not the addiction of regular smoking, but no, yeah. what there's just smoking, but they're an addict and then right. you just see burn marks everywhere. Right. Because oh, they're nodding because of... The drugs. Yeah. Yeah, but usually the cigarette intensifies that high. Gotcha. So mm-hmm. a lot of people who don't even smoke like that, but they use drugs, will start smoking mm-hmm. because it intensifies the high. But you'll start to notice around them, like burns in their shirts, like even cigarette burns on themselves, their hands. Mm-hmm. Um burns on the the seats the car always the car and also the act of if they're not a smoker and then they start smoking yeah yep. that that's uh that's you're saying yeah. that's a byproduct yeah not always but right okay. what i've seen but if you see a person who's never smoked in their life and, then and all of a sudden they go through some shit and then wait you're smoking yeah. now and then i see this then okay that's a good yeah um a very dramatic weight loss mm-hmm. um there's this okay so there's a weird thing that happens like your skin looks like gray mm. it's weird so it's it, i can't even explain it but you'll be able to see a difference in their skin tone and a difference just in like how you can almost see the veins in their hands mm. you know and always the age-old track marks right. so and it looks they look like little mosquito bites with like you know like a little um vein coming from it or something like it that, could or, be yeah. or or like a mosquito bite with a, a tiny little scab right in the middle of it mm. and okay. that that's a track mark and you'll see them around in the between their toes their fingers because mm. they're trying to hide it right um even in their neck sometimes oh, but the wow. biggest thing is the track marks the nodding weight loss even personality um opiates kind of long-term opiate use at first it kind of makes you tired you know and you fall asleep but long-term you'll notice an increase 
in their behaviors and like they almost become like erratic um it, it really affects your mental health drastically like a, sort of like in a manic type of sense yes. or yeah okay. like almost like bipolar but not right not in the not so much like because not in the mania of bipolar but mm. just like excited like mm. like adhd type okay that's probably a better gotcha. okay. and the other thing that is very strange sugar addicts another anyone, drug right <laughs> right um when we use opiates mm-hmm. you need sugar mm. i don't know why usually it's like the fruity candies the sour candies the yeah. the um starburst stuff like that a lot of um drug addicts who use opiates need sugar and that also i believe if i remember correctly the reason why is because scientifically it increases your high sugar kind of has the same effect it binds to your opiate receptors mm, okay. so you know it kind of just makes you feel like you know and that that's like why you know kids get a little hyper when they eat sugar yeah kind of on top of that addiction yeah. it's i'm sure but if you notice them yeah. you know eating a lot of candy right. and you're noticing other stuff you're like okay there's something going on here mm, for okay. sure and if you ask them to do a drug test and they get offended if you're not hiding anything, you shouldn't get offended. True. Especially on that point. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, do you feel going through your past traumas um, prior to the addiction kind of softened you up to addiction? Or was it the physical response to it? Now, I, I know we're probably just... It's a touching back and forth. But a lot of people... Because people can argue that, okay, I've been through this, I've been through that. Which, you know, I can attest to. And other than but there's also little addict things that people do right like with myself it's it's probably i would narrow it down to food Mm -hmm. Uh, but i've been through my past traumas and uh i haven't gone through the weighty effect of being addicted to those type of drugs but do you think in your perspective because we're focusing on you Mm -hmm. that you think you would have reached that point of this type of addiction because of what you've been through or was it a chance thing that you going through everything that you did these past traumas then your introduction or being around these type of drugs and say hey fuck it you know i mean was there any kind of kind of um, kind of correlation or it's just a chance thing that you just started using so i do Yes and no. Okay. So I think that had I not gone through what I went through, I I don't think I would have picked up a drug. Okay. However, I do believe that it made me... I believe that there's so much addiction in my family that there's definitely... It's definitely like a hereditary thing. Right. You know, it's a disease and um, there's there's actually a gene for it. You know, Mm -hmm. it's in your DNA. And um, I had it from both sides. I may not have had the addiction to opiates, but maybe it would have went back to food. Right. You know, I I think I've been dealing with addiction since I was like five, you know, and that's kind of ironic because I went through, you know, sexual abuse at five. Mm -hmm. So I think that was just my way to cope with that. Right. Once I found this medicine and I saw how good it made me feel, I stuck to that. But I think I was pre- not preconditioned but like maybe 
predisposed right. to possibly having an addiction because yeah. the gene kind of runs in both sides of my family. Okay. So, so I mean, it's it's. I'm sure people can talk on both sides about it, right. but it's it's always. I feel there's always something. There's always something there, and it's definitely there on both sides because yeah. people want to. They don't want to be stressed all the time. They don't want to feel the way they feel, right. and they find an outlet. And sometimes those outlets are very severe, and it's just it's it's addiction, and people don't yeah. see it for what it is. And most of us have a vice. You yeah. know, some people have a healthier vice: working out, walking, talking, maybe working a lot. You know, unfortunately. We know those people that OD it in the gym and everything. Yeah. Like, oh, you're a little yeah. bit addicted to it. And, and there's also a lot of people that don't, you know, they have had mom and dad be drug addicts. They grew right. up in really horrible, you know, conditions. But they don't, they never touch the drug. And they mm-hmm. live really great lives, you know. Right. And, and kudos, you know, I think that's amazing. I, yeah. I couldn't do that. I, well, I, I could now, but I wasn't able at that point to do right. it. I don't think I was taught healthy coping skills either. Mm-hmm. So that makes things a little different. You know, I didn't know right. how to deal with life. I dealt with it. That's another thing. Like, I, I, I just never felt totally comfortable expressing myself. Mm-hmm. So I kind of sat with a lot. And I think I needed something to just make me feel better. Right. So had I had a comfortable place to talk and and feel more comfortable and feel like nobody's gonna leave me and and just take off on me because i always had this fear of abandonment um maybe i wouldn't have ever became an addict you know maybe Mm. i would have had healthy coping skills but i didn't i didn't have healthy coping skills for me i've always been a people pleaser i always wanted people to like me it was just always about everybody else and and i never really thought like well, how did this hurt me? How did this affect me? Right. It was always like, well, I can't say this because then so-and-so is not going to like me anymore. And, and, and it lends to the fact that different pe- it's it's different for everyone. Right. It's, there's so many facets. Not, there's no one size fits all. And all that, all that talk. And people need to realize that, that it has to be a dynamic way of helping somebody who's in this sort of space. Yep. Is there's, there's no one true way of doing it. And, uh, and you know, great respect to the people such as yourself that help people try and get past either their addictions or their traumas and everything. Describe the tilt or, and or the tipping point that led you to the path of recovery. So I was just doing really horrible things and I had to look at myself in the mirror. Mm-hmm. Um like i had mentioned before i felt like i was a burden so on february 23rd 2015 i found myself on the bathroom floor Mm. i had pills in one hand and i had the phone in the other 20 days prior to that date i had made a phone call um shout out to dr vando (laughs) because he's still my doctor (laughs) to today (laughs) he's great but i found myself on the bathroom floor and i just felt like i was a burden i felt like i just couldn't get it right I was waiting for this call um and then i felt like i was never gonna get it and i felt like why well, I, I can't even imagine being clean like not me yeah the noise in my head was just too loud to deal with on my own mm-hmm. and 
I just wanted to die, you know. So I stuffed the pills in my mouth that day and I was about to swallow and then I got that call. I think when I started this, I didn't think it was going to be long term. Um, I, I fully expected to find a better way to use. Mm-hmm. Um, I was trying to find a way so I wouldn't run out of my medications and a better way to use, you know. Right. I just kind of kept taking each day as it came. Mm-hmm. And I woke up one day and I have seven and a half years sober, you know. That's awesome. And, um, but I think what really started that process was... You know, I think we had had our second or third miscarriage. I really wanted to be a mom, mm-hmm. but I wasn't being even a good stepmom or wife. Um, I was really selfish. I only thought about myself. Right. But I also had a lot of self-loathing, and it's very strange. Like, you're not doing anything productive, but you hate yourself. And I just felt like I wasn't making any positive contributions into the life of my family, my mom, my dad, my husband, my stepchildren, my stepchildren. And I felt like they would be significantly better without me. So that all that that just ended up to that tipping point of right. you doing that, but then you're getting that call and yeah. then from then on there that started the Yeah. Okay. Now mm-hmm. how how important is and you touched on it before, but maybe you can expand on it. The the how important it is the support to someone beginning in that inception of being serious about recovery? I think it is the most important thing you can receive. A lot of people use because we feel alone. Right. We want to escape that feeling, like the noise in our head. I had a lot of consistent support. I'm really lucky. Uh, a lot of people don't have what I have or had even. Mm-hmm. Um, I had like an army and a tribe just kind of get together behind me. I was like, we're going to do this. When they knew I was serious. And you this know? is just family, friends and family. Yeah. You have love. More like, so my mom, my husband, my stepdad. Okay. Um, the, I think the most important thing when you're dealing with a family and addiction is go to Al-Anon. It's really important because you can't tell that person you're mad at them just yet. Um, so Al-Anon for those not knowing. Al-Anon is a, so it's kind of like AA or NA for the, the family. Right. So you get to go and um, you kind of go by the seven, the seven steps, the 12 steps, mm-hmm. but you're doing it for family and support givers and caregivers of people okay. in addiction. Oh, and so the support group for those supporting those yes. recovering through yep. addiction. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's awesome. Al-Anon is amazing. Mm-hmm. And it helps because so many people go through these experiences, but they're going through it alone. And you do need support. The support needs support. Absolutely. And it's really important with that, too, because when somebody is in recovery and they just stepped into it, you can't yet tell them that you're mad at them. Right. Although that's okay to be mad at them. So they can't hear that just yet. They need to hear all of the, you got this. I believe in you. I'm going to hold you. It's okay. And in time, I would actually say a year later, Mm -hmm. a year of consistent sobriety, then you can start to tell the person that they've hurt you. The best way I think to do it is to write a letter the day that they get sober. Right. 
when you see that they've been consistent six months a year, you can have that conversation and let that letter be a blueprint. But um, definitely support needs support. And Absolutely. just take it easy and be, be kind to yourself and be patient with yourself. It's okay to be mad at the addict. Mm -hmm. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. You have every right and you should be. I'd be very surprised if um, you weren't mad at the addict. You know, I, I'd be very shocked. Right. You, you have to be almost. You know, I'm not trying to tell people what to do. But it's important to feel that. You got to well, feel these yeah, things. Yeah, you have to. That, that's something that has to be put into light because right. everyone, and it's natural for somebody to feel in a sense and maybe i don't know if i'm using the right word but to feel jealous that oh they're they're getting all the shine because they're but look what the fuck they did to me right you know yep. and they're upset <laughs> and and even though somebody might say oh no that's that's not something you should be feeling they should be supported and then they're not they don't feel supported right. so that support for the support is amazing and people need to realize that if you're supporting someone that's going through something so hefty, you know, there is something there for you as well yes. so that they could process. And that's, yes. a, that's an amazing, I think that's an amazing thing. Al-Anon has saved people because a lot of people, you know, a lot of people supporting people in addiction tend mm -hmm. to be um, like very empathetic people, empaths, people that are, are people pleasing, you know, and also the, the addict tends to be, people pleasing mm -hmm. the, you're the same it's right. the weirdest thing so you're exactly the same you guys marry each other and um you know at the same time you're like i'm really, i almost hate you right now but but i have to love you through this process especially in early recovery early recovery is really tough for family members because right. you don't trust anything they say i'm seven and a half years sober and i still to this day you know my husband says it's a little bit much but to this day i still have to take the extra step right. to to do stuff for my mom so she feels more comfortable she will randomly very and this because she hasn't really dealt with it right. she will randomly just be like oh i don't believe that you're working today and i'm like i'm in hmm. court like what do you mean I'm, I'm at work right now i'm about to go to court like i'm gonna go inside i can't talk to you right now and i'll take the extra step to send her like a video like hi mama you said abc one two three and look i'm i'm here right you know or doing other little things that i, I know that work for her mm -hmm. but it's it's hard you know and as an addict we have to be okay with understanding that we're we may have to make um rebuild that trust for a long time exactly maybe indefinitely mm -hmm. okay that's okay addict addiction is is a betrayal right it's a cheat you know you you betrayed the people around you because we do a lot of things that are that are horrendous we we lie we cheat we steal um we don't want to but but mm -hmm. it's the only thing we know to do we have to spend a, a, a significant amount of time making that up and that's okay and that that's a whole other journey within yeah. itself that takes just as long to recover from right than recovery right and I think it's okay for the addict to be mad about that too. Right. But if I could ever give a piece of advice to anybody out there who's in even like midterm recovery, like maybe they have a few years in, just just do it. It starts to really rebuild the trust. It, it makes your life a lot easier. Mm -hmm. Don't go crazy. I tend to go overboard just because my family's a little different. <laughs> but, 
you know, you do what you can and you just try to rebuild that trust. Mm -hmm. it, it'll help you in the long run for sure. It makes you feel good because you're not hiding anything and you can exactly. be just so transparent. Like I said what I was doing and I'm actually doing that. It's, it's like what I tell my kids. You you have you, you remember less if you don't lie. Right. Right. <laughs> that you had a you had a special case of being pregnant while getting clean. Take us through that and as you feel this life in you how did it strengthen your resolve to ultimately stay clean so i was actually clean so well we did experience miscarriages while i was using right um and then i got clean in 20 that's right in your recovery yeah you you got pregnant during your after your recovery yes yes yes, yes. Yeah. so i was clean two years mm -hmm. but my situation is a little bit different and right. controversial. Just trigger warning really quickly. Take us through it. Don't I, worry about the whole trigger thing. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So I opted to do medication management. Mm -hmm. um, they started me off with methadone. That did not work for me because I knew I was going to abuse it. Then they put me on Suboxone and that was a journey and it worked wonders for me. It really did. I, I never ran out of my medications. I never overused i never did any of those things however when i found that i was pregnant things had to change right so i was put on something called subutex which is not the best option but it's, it's healthier for babies right and those nine ten months because my child just was really comfortable in my body for whatever reason just kidding but <laughs> he was not trying to leave but um <laughs> You know, I had to be prepared for the possibility he was going to be in the hospital for a little bit. Right. So what I did was, um, I, I went, this, please, nobody do what I did. Please follow your doctor's instructions. I'm not a doctor, not any sort of medical professional by any means. But I started to wean myself off of it because I really didn't want him to be in the hospital for a long time. Mm -hmm. Okay. So what I started to do a month beforehand was just kind of take less and less and less and less. Mm -hmm. And um, he ended up only being in the hospital for like a week, which that's unheard of. He, he, they, they were thinking he was possibly going through withdrawals. Right. He, very slight. It wasn't. He was perfect. He was fine. Um, but what was your what was your doing the weaning off of that to protect your son? How? Did that affect your, I don't know if, if I'm using like the cravings or just the want, did that increase as well while you were pregnant? Yes. And that, that made it, that made it kind of dangerous? Yes. Were you actually like seeking? I or? didn't, so my son really gave me, he's everything I ever wanted. Mm. Sorry. No, no <laughs> I feel that way about my kids too. I love him so much. Um. And that was enough for me to not even think, you know, about, um, it, it was like a no brainer. Right. Um, I wanted him before he was even a thought, mm -hmm. you know, I was told I couldn't have children. Right. Um, because of, a, this is why you have tissues. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, yeah, um, please uh, share it with us, you know, everybody who's a, yeah. everybody who's a parent, yeah. they, they don't see the different struggles, the different type of deal just what they go through and maybe some stuff they hear through but this is something yeah. you know they need to know like there are parents who go through this mm -hmm. and they need to feel 
what you felt going through it so that they know when they see somebody they don't see them as an unfit parent they see them as somebody you know that they love their kids as much as anybody else yeah and it's it's controversial a lot of people think it's wrong to do medication management Mm -hmm. i get it you know it's what worked for me it's kept me sober Mm -hmm. um and I just, I didn't want him to, ex- I know withdrawal, withdrawal is really uncomfortable. It's, it's not just physically uncomfortable, but it makes you want to die. You're, you're, you're literally, so what happens when you use drugs is there's a release of serotonin, endorphins, dopamine. When you're going through withdrawal, it's literally completely depleted. You have nothing in you anymore. Mm-hmm. So knowing that my son, this little baby coming into the world could possibly go through something that I've endured so many times was like torture to me. I never wanted to like, you just got here. I don't want you to suffer. Like, you know, this is why I started this whole thing. You know, I definitely felt like I wanted to use, you know, and I wanted to like, I miss drugs more than anything. sounds terrible, but you know, I've I've been around women who were using drugs and pregnant, and I would just be like, like I would do anything to have a child, and look at what you're doing, you know. And I had a lot of envy and resentment towards them. Mm-hmm. It was just like a no-brainer for me. Like I just, my love for him and and the blessed, I just felt really blessed that, first of all, my husband has three children from a previous relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, and I have a great, I have a good relationship with their mom, and it's it's a weird dynamic, but it works. No, it's a positive dynamic. Yeah, that's what everybody should strive for. Yeah. But continue. And um, I felt really lucky that he chose me to have mm-hmm. this child with. Um, after everything he endured and went through mm-hmm. with me, right. and he still saw me fit to be the mother of his child. Right. And he's a really good dad. Um, he puts women to shame like that's how great of a father he is (laughs) you know I've always admired that about him and um, like I was always really grateful that he he allowed me to carry like life that he's put into this world like I was always so honored about that I don't want to let him down Um, that's such a trust as a man you know you're you're taking yourself and you're putting it into this woman right. and you expect that that woman is going to hold that child to term and keep that baby safe right. sorry and no, I owed him that okay. after everything he did for me I owed him that right. you know and I didn't want to let him down I didn't want to let my family down my mom my stepdad mm-hmm. you know my stepdad has been such a guiding light in my life you know, he's a pain in the ass, but I just, I adore him. And he's really, he's been there for me since I was a kid, you know, and he's loved me unconditionally. And, you know, he grew attached to this baby that I'm carrying. And my love just for my entire family outweighed anything that I wanted and or felt. And I felt like, well, I'm going to be a mom now. And I have a responsibility like it's not always what you want anymore right you know this is when you start to give up all of those things and i'll be honest it's gonna sound selfish but it was difficult because i am an only child so you know i had some tough stuff happen but you know i was kind of used to getting what i wanted when i wanted it Mm -hmm. but my son just 
he's everything I've ever wanted in my life. I look at him, I stare at him when he sleeps. He's my whole life. I, I, I'm, I'm on, I'm on the same page or two with that. I, yeah. The, the same. You, you've seen my boys, yes. and you know, <laughs> trust me, it's you. You get into that type of conversation, that feeling, and everything, and you know, those that don't have yet or decided not to have they can never understand that parental dynamic of how someone could love their kid you know there's a lot of people out out there um it was actually one of rg's friend's husband and he kind of echoed the same thing and i overheard him saying that to somebody else and i know a lot of people have probably said it other people have probably heard it but parents realize and it's kind of weird to say what a good they understand murder yes oh yeah (laughs) because when oh yeah when something like they they can rationalize yeah killing someone oh yeah and that's you know in in defense of their children that that type of feeling like i will never feel remorse if i have to put you down for my children right because you're you're just an afterthought Mm -hmm. if i have to do that to you because i'm defending them right 100% so it's that i that i definitely get so it it translates into people feeling that type of emotion and the tears and so believe me it's 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 a different dynamic that you do not understand until you are a parent yep it's true and you know, I have my stepchildren. I love them so much. You know, I know I would die for them in a hot minute. My love grew for them after I had my ch- my son. Mm. It was like I saw them differently. And I was just like, yeah, I would kill everybody for these four kids. <laughs> like, yeah, the, all, the whole city is gone just for these four. You know, so I completely relate to that. <laughs> I just love them so much. You know, it's... It's unconceivable. Like, it's just, like, insane. It's an yeah. insane type of love. And it's yeah. just... I will kill people, yeah. yeah people, they, <laughs> they, they don't... Un- like, another parent understands that parent face. Like, yep. are you kidding me? Like, you know, that... Yeah. that, that wow. You know, face, but, like, the animal from the Muppets. Like, right. you got that face. Like, eh, don't, so don't, don't go there. Don't go there. Yeah. Um, so, now, was there anyone who found it hard to see you going through recovery who may not have been optimistic and didn't think it would succeed not that i know of Mm, okay um a lot of people didn't know about my addiction right um i have lost friends um because of what i did while using and i i understood you know i completely understood you you have to protect yourself and do what's right for yourself right um but I, not that i know i don't know of anyone who didn't believe i would stay sober i i, I was never really told right. or shown that okay you know and i was also really like close it's like in a little rock i guess of sorts during that time mm-hmm. so <laughs> not anyone listening who is an addict to those helping friends and family beat addiction knowing what you've been through how can they help themselves or each other support the path getting and staying clean now we've been you've you've touched on so not to rehash mm-hmm. but there's the 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 support for those supporting and those that can do for themselves so rather than this being a repetitive question is there anything else you want to expand that anything else it could other than 
having them the support for themselves, um, being supportive of those recovering. Um, is there anything that else you might touch base on that we might have left out? So, the uh, you know, and they say this in NA and AA, just take one day at a time. I um, I heard this really good example once that you take a shower every day, right? Mm-hmm. But the shower you took yesterday is not valid for tomorrow and the day before. Mm-hmm. So it's important to deal with recovery like that. Um, I'm going to take a shower today and I'll take another one tomorrow because if I don't take one tomorrow, it doesn't mean the one that I took yesterday is going to help me tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So you just kind of take it a day, a day by day process. Sometimes it's not that simple. Sometimes you may need to take it hour by hour, mm-hmm. minute by minute. Right. That's really important when you're going through, especially the beginning of your recovery, because you always feel like it's not ever going to end, mm-hmm. but it will. Okay. You just maintaining hope and staying patient with yourself mm-hmm. just taking one day at a time no, that's great that, that's all, all anybody can do right so they reach their goal hopefully it's important though not to like focus on tomorrow mm-hmm. you know my sponsor used to tell me that i was like oh but what about and she's like yeah, i need you to stop thinking about what about tomorrow or later or tonight mm-hmm. just focus on right now you know we don't know what's gonna happen tomorrow. We're not thinking about staying sober tomorrow. We're thinking about staying sober at this very moment. Right. It helps you live in the moment and the present. Mm-hmm. That's really important because as addicts, we become really overwhelmed. With remember, like focusing on, am I gonna have enough drugs for tomorrow? Am I gonna have enough drugs for next week? You don't want to keep doing that. We're done with that lifestyle. Just mm-hmm. right now. Right. Just right now. No. When you feel your son can understand or process your journey, would you share that with him? Yes, yes. I never want him to meet that woman, but I definitely want him to know what I experienced. So, you know, I'm in the process of writing a book at the moment. It's Mm -hmm. called Letters to My Father. I didn't really have, like, a support for my father's addiction. Mm -hmm. Um, And that is kind of like... um, the the process of what i went through through my father's addiction but one day my son is gonna pick up a book and be like (laughs) all right what happened here (laughs) you know so i think he should know especially because um you know i do a lot of speaking and you know i'm kind of a little bit out there and and if you type my name up stuff will come up Mm -hmm. so i never wanted to be a situation where he's like 10 or 11 and people are like well your mom was a drug addict that he could Mm -hmm. you know what i want him to be like she sure was she (laughs) sure was and look at what she's doing now look at what we got now and you know that's what i want right and um because kids could be mean you know so i want him to be able to just be like yep that was my mom and this is her now you know Mm -hmm. i think it's important that he knows who i was Mm -hmm. but not who I am today, but how I got here. No, it's great. Yeah. Now, you, you've talked a lot about how your husband has supported you. How does he continue to this day help you maintain your successful sobriety? He doesn't hold grudges, um, which I think is just, you know, I had to learn that from him. Mm-hmm. He doesn't hold my past against me, you know, in regards to recovery. It's, it was something we, he always said we. <laughs> right. um, it was never like, you have to go through this, or you're you're going, you did it. Or it mm. was more just, we're going through this. Showing the you support. Know? He was always yeah. my partner. He nice. was never, he never just left me out to drive. Mm-hmm. 
he probably had every right to do so so yeah and has he done anything in addition to even though it can be considered that but you know helping a loved one you know strengthen a recovering addict the support is there absolutely as you said you know we're doing this together he showed that and strengthening somebody who at a lot of times can be weak strengthening them through however way possible as long as it's in a positive way now is is there anything you could think of that he's also done to strengthen you as well other than the support because people need to know a lot of people when you when you talk to somebody and they're dealing with somebody who's dealing with this there's not that much of a good road map other than yeah, saying you know being there for them you got to mm-hmm. be there for them like how the fuck do you do that yeah. You know, I'm dealing with somebody who can be difficult. That nobody's the same. Right, right. So the ports, the support's not always going to be the same. So anything you could expand on that can help, you know, realize that hey, look, you know, support is support. Right, right. He's very proactive, and he's somebody who's very um, like, if you tell him, I want to be a world famous singer songwriter. Mm-hmm. He's going to find a way to make sure you become a world-famous singer-songwriter. <laughs> and um, he's always been really good with that stuff. So, you know, it's. It, I think you have to kind of go by the person that you're supporting. Right. And kind of go and see how their drum is beating, I guess. Um, with him specifically, he went to meetings with me. He mm. went to therapy sessions with me, even though... He wouldn't go in, but he would sit outside and wait just to tell me or show me he was there rather than, you know, physically have to, like, I'm here, you know. (laughs) For him, it was more about the showing. Even the little stuff, like, he's had in his phone, he, for the past seven years, he's had my anniversary. And (laughs) every anniversary, he literally has a countdown to the next one and the next one and the next one. And it's those little things, like when you celebrate the small things, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's it's really endearing and it, it makes you feel good. That first year of recovery, he would tell me, this is the amount of days you have in sobriety. We're almost here awesome. at this amount of time. And the first year, he made it just like incredible. It was right. so, it was like, we had a surprise. He had a little cake for me. It was really nice. <laughs> he baked it. Um, he got my the whole family involved, you know, and it just made me feel like, Oh wow, you really see that I did this, you know, and and I always say a lot like he saved me and he'll be like, Oh no, you did that, you did that. <laughs> and I do believe that I owe him a lot in, right. in regards to my addiction. But he's very quick to never take the credit. Ever, ever, ever. He will never take the credit. He's mm-hmm. very quick to just be like, You did that. I did not do that. You did it. Right. I still believe that he saved me. That, and that's a one that's a wonderful thing to have in your life yeah what is what is a must a person getting clean should hold on to to not lose faith that at the end of the road is a new life to live the worst day in addiction Mm -hmm. whatever your worst day in addiction is remember that like harp on it my worst day today will never compare 
to my bestie in addiction. Mm. That's how horrible addiction is. Right. It is like hell. Literally, it's Groundhog's Day. But I always think about the worst day I've ever had an addiction. And it, re- it reminds me to really stay sober. You know, I remember when I was using heavily. It was the summer before I got clean. It was 2014, maybe. And my mom's best friend, her son, passed away mm. from an overdose. Mm, okay. And um, I remember I was sitting. I was going through withdrawals. And I was sitting on the, the kind of like the stoop. And my mom was hugging her. But she had her back to me. And my mom is looking at me. And she's just staring at me, like, not saying anything, but I know what she's thinking. Right. I've never forgotten that look. Mm. That look of, like, I need you to get it together. Like, I'm not doing this. I'm not burying you. Or somebody's hug- going to be hugging me like right. this. It, w- it spoke volumes, you know, and my stepdad. Like, I remember my stepdad used to take me certain places. He's not an idiot, you know. He's an army veteran and he would take me certain places and i'm just like why are you so insistent you know and and, you know i was going to get stuff but yeah he knew what was going on but i think he did it to make sure i was safe because i put myself into such bad situations you know so they were both really supportive but they also i just remember the looks on their faces i remember everything that they had to do to to make sure I was okay. I remember my mom coming into my room, remember like just to check if I was still breathing. Mm. Um my stepdad would literally lay with me a lot right. like when I was still living at home and um put his hand on my back to make sure I moved. Like he was scared, you know. Wow. And you know I didn't live with my my dad obviously, but my stepdad really was really scared for my life right you know and he definitely did a lot but i think what keeps me there is remembering the worst day in addiction and remembering the looks on their faces and that pain right that they endured Mm. that's 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 really strong words to hold on to i'll never forget the look on my mom's face that day and i'll never forget the disappointment in my stepdad's eyes right when i walked back to the car that day we knew we didn't say anything but he looked so disappointed in me Mm. and i was just like damn and it hurt me to hurt him yeah no that's that's very very strong words yeah what are what are additional resources someone can take advantage of here we're, we're in new york or in the u.s or another country that they can mirror and discover that they're you know that they're wherever they are what it has to offer to help get clean at any level of addiction so you know the if anybody does have insurance there is a behavioral health line on the back of their card that is really important they're very good about not judging Mm. um is that strictly for addiction or they there's different parts to it so it's behavioral health so they'll ask you do you need assistance with addiction mental health suicide like so there's different kind Mm. of departments in it and this is any insurance card 
any at all mm, okay or you can just kind of google addiction help um one thing i always tell people is if they're going through withdrawals and they really want to kind of keep going with it right check yourself into an er immediately they will go they will keep you for the three to four days they right. have to um and help you go through the detox and they'll help you go through it so it's not uncomfortable right um so with that also though you want to try and you the city hospitals are best mm-hmm. mount sinai um i believe saint joseph's is here in yonkers i believe uh, or saint john's riverside saint john riverside saint john's yeah. they have an addiction unit so right. it's easier to get help there yeah. they'll just send you right upstairs and it's, mm. it's they're pretty good about it okay. it's gotten better when i was going through some you know um when i was going through the whole process of my beginnings of recovery when i was just kind of back and forth right it wasn't simple because they didn't they didn't see that as a as an issue because they thought it was just the pills right um now it's different they're taking it very seriously mm-hmm. um montefiore they're you know they'll do the detox with you okay. um lebanon will definitely catch you set up for like a week so definitely check definitely check the resources that a hospital nearby you because even though we're are referencing in the new york area but right, in, right. in have you dealt with anybody regionally or internationally that yes. you may have had to research something for them because they weren't in a know yes so i'm so my day job is um i work for an ati program um and i do a lot of court and ATI, i uh, alternative to incarceration okay so i get kids out of jail pretty much we try to kind of like rehabilitate mm-hmm. but i come into contact with a lot of people in addiction okay there's a direct correlation between crime and addiction okay. it's, it's a thing so um you know i've had a, a few people in it i've had one kid that i still work with to this day he's from puerto rico right and i was able to get him assistance but he has medicaid so it, it, it was a little different okay and we got him help in pennsylvania nice. so we sent him off to pennsylvania that was a, helpful with my job But if you Google Bronx Directory of Services Uh or Queens or Yonkers, whatever borough or city or town you're in, Mm -hmm. every town has it. Just if you live in Croton on Hudson, let's just say Croton on Hudson Directory of Services, Uh it's a PDF. It'll pop right up and you can literally look for free addiction help Mm. Um, and they will help you through the process and it's seamless like i mean i know for the city and they're a little rough in the city so i imagine that yeah. in westchester would be a little bit easier mm-hmm. but um they will help you and okay. usually you know they do like sliding scale fee or you let them know you don't you don't have an income and they will try their best to work with you okay any chance you've dealt with anybody internationally or not yet because i know i know different countries do this in different ways and it, they normally don't tend to shine because it's not the way they do it in the U.S. Yeah. And uh, have you seen any type of success internationally how they dealt with addiction? Yes, Canada. So Canada deals... Um, actually, I was doing like mentoring uh-huh. with a young lady from Canada. We kind of connected through an addiction group. Right. 
So, and we still keep in contact. She's been sober for five months now, which I think mm. is amazing. I wish I could share her name, but, you know. <laughs> um, but they do it very differently in Canada and right. a lot of European countries as well. They do it more of in a harm reduction sense where, okay. you know, in the U.S. we're more like cold turkey stop or medication management, which I swear by. But mm. in um, Canada, they they prefer harm reduction so they have locations where you can actually go use mm. safely and um they have case managers and case workers that help you slowly decrease mm. you know based so on your goals yeah oh, okay. and it, it seems to work because oh. there's a big decrease in their um population of people who are addicted right especially to opiates okay so i've seen i mean from what i see statistically it seems mm. to be a, you know helpful but yeah I don't live in Canada, but, you know, from what I see, I, I I'm, think I'm it's I'm sure working. the numbers can be easily looked up. Right, and, right. Um, and that's great. Now, any um, any final thoughts, shout-outs, anything you want to mention? Also, let people know how they can, you know, view your continued journey and all your resources and everything. I mean, what do you got? Um... <laughs> So I just wanted to thank you guys again. I know I'm a baby. I cry a lot. But I really appreciate it so much. You know, the past few years have been a little rough. So I really appreciate this opportunity. Um, my Instagram is inspiration. It's kind of like a play on my name. Mm -hmm. So instead of it being with an I, it's in. So it's E-N-N-spiration. S-P-I-R-A-T-I-O-N-S. And, um, we also follow each other on IG, so right. <laughs> if you didn't get that, then the, check out who I follow, and you will definitely find her. And um, so I definitely kind of, you know, I do motivational speaking. I share a lot about where I am mentally, and some days are not good, and some days are great. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, it's so weird, because my mom is... is like she's a very in your face type of person and i'm not I, I try not to be like that we're very different very similar but very different mm -hmm. but one day she had told me um that somebody had asked her like oh how are you so open about sharing your experiences and, and about your daughter mm -hmm. and she said i don't know i just like to you know change people's lives through the power of testimony mm -hmm. and i ran with that and that is my mission statement changing people's lives through the power of testimony awesome. you know so um but definitely follow me on instagram you know i'm on the journey this is a journey that never ends mm -hmm. you know when once you're in addiction you're always in addiction but once you're in recovery you're always supported in recovery Absolutely. and um sorry i'm so emotional <laughs> but i feel really blessed you know i always tell people that if god or or you know the creator whatever you know no disrespect uh came down and was like yo novi i need you to do that one more time because we missed somebody that right. you could have helped like oh man all right <laughs> sucks Let's do you this. know and i'll do it but you know i i do believe that that we go through everything for a reason right. and i've been really grateful to to have seen success in helping people and have been told mm -hmm. that people have changed their lives because of the things that i've shared right you know i think right now i'm on to chapter two i guess of my journey um in recovery and that's dealing with my father's death mm. and that's hard yeah so that's what i'm working on right now and you know my dad always told me i didn't think i could be a mom right. and he's like it's all right you're gonna you're gonna have the whole world is gonna be your child mm. you know and i was like all right dad and i guess 
you know, I always end off with a saying. And I do explain the saying in my Instagram. So make sure you check that out. But keep doing what you do so we can do what we do. We got this. We certainly do. And thank you again for joining me on my journey. <laughs> and doing what we do to help everyone in any way possible. And any little bit, if it helps anybody, I think it's a wonderful thing. And thank you for being a part of my journey. Thank you so well. much. This was really <laughs> powerful. <laughs> and I, I, I appreciate it. And I'm glad I was able to put you in a space to share your story in such a comfortable way. Even though nobody sees the setup, nobody sees how we do it. It's a lot of work, but I always love the end result. And this is an amazing thing. Yes. And thank you for being an, an extremely uh, wonderful chapter of this podcast and sharing your story. And once the book comes out, please come back and, you know, we'll talk on that and just have another amazing time. Thank you. I'm honored. <laughs> I'm really honored. Genuinely. Thank you. And anybody listening, I want to say thank you again and continue to tune in and if you if you yourself have a story to tell if you know anybody um by all means please reach out to me at fyi i am damaged on instagram uh fyi i am damaged at gmail by all means please feel if you feel the strength from this episode and it empowers you to want to tell your story hit me up and we'll see we'll just we'll tell your story to the world we'll share your strength with the world and little by little make everybody a little bit stronger to move forward Palante. thank you everybody this is fyi i am damaged and i'm a novi fyi i am damaged thank you everybody take care